power is analogous to a tool, mm -hmm. right? But there comes a point where eventually you have to allow your kid to fall over. It causes two people to suffer mm. where zero people have to suffer. Mm. Two hours hanging out with friends talking about absolute nonsense. And you're not in, these are not friends that you can get anything out. Welcome to How to Be an Adult, a podcast created by the practitioners at the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis in Toronto, Canada. We've made this show for people just like you who've inadvertently become adults and have no idea what to do about it. I'm Luke Chow. And I'm Pascal Langdale. And whether you're 18 or 80, this is the trail guide to life that you didn't get when you gained equality with your parents. We discuss these things publicly in order to democratize self-assurance. In this episode, we're going to be talking about things you were told as a child that become obsolete when you're an adult. I'm going to do something extremely out of character, which <laughs> is to quote the Bible. This is the King James Version. I was an English graduate, so I think it's fitting um, for that reason. This is from 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In today's episode, we're going to speak about anti-principles, the childish things to put away now that you have reached adulthood. The first of these anti-principles is that you have to turn to other people, people in power, people who are older than you, people who might be more knowledgeable for validation or permission since your own thoughts, values, discernment, opinions, knowledge, etc. are not good enough on their own. But this is the attitude not of someone who's experienced and knowledgeable. It's the attitude of the student, of the apprentice. And I want to point out that reputable universities around the world give 23-year-olds <laughs> the title of master, master of sciences, master of arts. And when it comes to the domains of your life, your thoughts, your hopes, goals, and dreams as an individual, to claim mastery, I think, is, is no overstatement. Mm -hmm. When you've had at least 18 years mm. living your life in your body, in your own head and heart, you can value your own thoughts and opinions about yourself. You can exercise your taste when it comes to you. Within that, there's also the uh, idea that you're, you know, you're still going to be a lifelong learner. It's not like you're the finished article. And in fact, your tastes will change, your uh, understanding of yourself will change, and within that, your identity will change throughout your life as well. So it's not to say that you're, it's, it's a done thing. But there is a moment at which, you know, being the, the student, you've got to start taking responsibility for yourself and start uh, stepping away from the master. In this case, the apprenticeship is childhood. Da Vinci had an enormously long apprenticeship, and partly because he really, really liked his master. But it was almost kind of unheard of that you'd stay that long. And there are some people that think that, well, it's because he basically had a, uh, an emotional codependency uh, with his master. In contrast, I think it was uh, Michelangelo was like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go do stuff, you know. So even if you're extraordinarily clever, everything as far as the world might be concerned, you're extremely accomplished. That doesn't actually mean that you're actually taking that step. I would guess that partway through his apprenticeship, mm -hmm. 
da Vinci started to use his own eyes in the absence of his master, mm -hmm. and he judged his work with his own judgment. Mm -hmm. Let me put this in a 21st century context. Yes. Getting dressed in the morning, mm -hmm. right? So when you're five years old, maybe your mom, mm -hmm. your dad decides, here's what you're gonna wear today. It's clean and they think it's stylish. So you put it on and then you realize after, you know, a few years of elementary school that the other kids might or might not accept what your parents had put on you in the morning. <laughs> this opinion might contradict mm -hmm. with what your parents might want for you, but we do reach an age where we can dress ourselves in the morning mm -hmm. based on a combination of practicality as well as fashion. We all at some point in our lives, uh, you know, have to dress ourselves in, in the morning, <laughs> quite literally. And it, you know, it's usually before we turn 18, but definitely once we reach our 20s, mm. we don't even want a parent choosing mm. our clothing for us. And at that point, our taste, our sense of aesthetics, our discernment, our understanding of our own bodies, mm -hmm. our understanding of how we want to present socially, mm -hmm. all of this helps us decide what ends up in, the, in our closet in the first mm -hmm. place, as well as which item we're going to pick off the rack mm -hmm. to, to wear at any given day. So... That's a very modern and relatable example, mm -hmm. I think, of where we're no longer the apprentice turning to mom or dad mm -hmm. saying, well, how about this? No? Well, mm -hmm. okay. In so many areas of mm -hmm. life, in, you know, like, like what are you going to stock your fridge with? What are you going to cook? Which career path are you going to take? Mm -hmm. Where are you going to go for university? Some people get degrees, some don't. You're 18, at least, and even if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, you may need to become masters in different domains. So what's the difference? And, and from what you're saying is that well, there are some fundamental aspects of, of being able to basically take care of yourself. So you, you feed yourself correctly, you can dress yourself in the morning, you have, uh, a, ideally you have a work ethic that will serve you and therefore serve others. That, that would be a, an important one as well. Because that's also what a, 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 a university is also about, is, is being able to, uh, is to give you a work ethic, basically. So in some ways, it's not really about university, but it's about, it's about stepping out into adulthood and throughout adulthood, having that attitude of, there are some fundamental things that I've already mastered at the age of 18, and everything on top of that is bonus, basically. The very, the very least, that's what I, I can do. And that in itself is enough. And then from that, I can master more things as I go through life. Right. Well, university is where a lot of people first learn how to like cook mm -hmm. and budget mm -hmm. and, you know, to shop for their own clothes and to do these things we have to do for yeah. the rest of our lives as adults. You could argue that universities, when you're not taking a program like law or engineering, mm -hmm. they're finishing schools, mm -hmm. basically. They, they, they take the rough form of a high school graduate and it you or, turn them into a well-rounded citizen. Or, or you could say that it's a rite of passage. Just like we were talking about in the, in the first episode, you could say that for a lot of people, university is, again, less about the degree itself, but a, a rite of passage where they've stepped away from the family that did the things for them. And now they're in a sort of a relatively supportive community I would say uh, that allows them to to start you know taking the reins in their own life 
Yeah. And that's probably the closest thing that many people have to a rite of passage. Yeah. And as part of that rite of passage to go from childhood to adulthood and to then have to leave behind childhood lessons, Mm -hmm. you leave behind the idea that your teachers are going to get on your case Mm -hmm. regarding the homework you've not yet submitted. You have to let go of, of the idea that there's someone going to be who's going to be hovering over you mm-hmm. to make sure you get dressed and you're being driven mm-hmm. to school and, and so mm-hmm. on. So for, for many people, you're right. This is the situation where being away from home, mm-hmm. especially, people first come into being as adults. Um, so when I talk about mastery, I'm not really talking about you know me being anything like da Vinci. Mm-hmm. If I do hypnotherapy very, very, very well, then maybe when I'm 60 or 80 years old, (laughs) you know, I I could be recognized as a master of hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to getting dressed, Mm -hmm. when it comes to what I'm going to stock my fridge with, Mm -hmm. when it comes to these basic life essentials, I absolutely do believe I've mastered them. Mm -hmm. And I've mastered them in, let's say, my early 20s. The principle, the the anti-principle that that I, I presented was that as an adult, you have to turn to others for validation and permission. Mm. So I think that in some occupational contexts, or let's say that you're learning how to um, cave dive mm-hmm. and you're 40, <laughs> you probably do want to turn mm-hmm. to others for validation and their opinions. But when it comes to the basic life foundations, and I'm going to also include how to make friends, Mm -hmm. how to um, be a decent person, Mm -hmm. how to be a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. When it comes to this kind of thing, most people, we would hope, have mastered Mm -hmm. these life essentials that will serve them for the remainder of their lives by their early 20s. Have you ever come across people who have not made that transition much later in life? Yes, and it's always because of, I mean, I'm I'm not sure if if the term helicopter parents Mm. applies to adults. (laughs) It's, I mean, there are cultures where there are intergenerational households, Mm -hmm. and that's quite normal. Um, So I I do see see that. And in other situations, um, it's parents who would not let go. Mm. It's parents who extend their adult children's childhood. Mm, that's the, the Mother Gottel kind of idea. Mother Gottel is, is trying to stop her daughter from basically maturing and does everything that she can. And, and in, in a lot of narratives, a parent that stops the adolescent from developing and becoming an adult is in effect a monster. It's, it's one of the archetypal monsters. And the reason for that is, I think, as you suggest, is that there's, there's something very damaging about the skills and perspectives of somebody who has not been allowed to uh, uh, test out and become an adult in their own right. And the, the very fact that that archetype exists at all suggests that this does happen and that this is, a, this is part, of the, part of the range of human stories that have regularly played out across generations. My mind went to the Pink Floyd song, Mother, mm-hmm. right. which is quite Oedipal. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to quote from this song, Mother, should I build the wall? Mother, should I run for president? Mother, should I trust a government? Mother, will they put me on the firing line? And then it um, switches to the mother's mm-hmm. perspective. 
Uh, hush now, baby. Baby, don't you cry. Mama's gonna make all your nightmares come true. Mama's gonna put all her fears into you. <laughs> Mama's gonna keep you right here under her wing. Mm. She won't let you fly, but she might let you sing. Mama's gonna keep baby cozy and warm. Um, ooh, baby, ooh, baby, ooh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Mama's gonna help build the wall. In the lyrics, it, it paints the, the mother gospel situation. So, so then you sort of think, well, why is why does that even exist? And part of it, I think, is that as a as a parent, at least for the first part of a uh, of a child's life, you they are absolutely dependent on you, and you have to swing all your ego basically in the service of this other creature. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where eventually you have to allow your kid to fall over. You have to allow your kid to make a mistake. You have to allow your kid to be foolish. And it is so painful. And so you can see that people who, again, fear that pain or fear the lack of reward, if you like, that they get from have, from being the uh, the creature on which the, the child depends. It's a validation. It's a role. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a life's purpose, if you sort of mean. It's, it's very fulfilling if that's what you need. But at some point, you have to turn around and go, okay, now... I'm going to be a parent. I'm not going to be your friend, and I'm I'm not going to be your. I'm going to do better by you by allowing you to do things that I can watch and be in distinct pain over. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a horrible thing to do. But you understand why, yeah. therefore, this archetype exists. I'm going to do a slight detour mm-hmm. because I I've had quite a number of clients who are mothers mm. with adult children, mm-hmm. and they're still losing sleep mm. over their adult children. Yeah. The message I give to them, the, the, the attitude I want them to adopt, is that being a mother to an adult child is much more liberating and gratifying mm-hmm. than being a mother to a newborn. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the sleeplessness often dates back to when you actually had to be sleepless mm-hmm. for a newborn. But if you do a good enough job, your kid stays alive and then <laughs> reaches the age of being a toddler, mm-hmm. and then elementary school, and then middle school, and increasingly the mother can breathe easy. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they're seeing the kid off to university, they can sleep a whole lot mm-hmm. better because of their diligence earlier mm-hmm. in the child's development. Mm-hmm. This message that being a mother to an adult child mm-hmm. is a lot more liberating. It's a lot more freeing and and relaxing and comfortable and peaceful than being a mother to a newborn. This, I, I think, it's not just my clients who've sought mm-hmm. out help with this. It's, I think, a lot of my listeners who are older women would benefit from hearing that mm-hmm. yeah. because it's good for both the mother and yeah. the child. Maybe you could also say, well, it's to use the the, the Greek um, phrase amor fati, meaning looking back and seeing and appreciating the destiny that got you here. That means that there was a time when you, that you were absolutely the carer of a helpless being. Then there was a time where that was slowly uh, changed. And the rewards of that time is also painful. You have to be able to step away from each of those times until uh, the point at which you can let go of your son or your daughter mm-hmm. and um, as you say still sleep easy yeah. and that's yeah. and that and that I can I can see how that process can be stalled if somebody holds on for too long for some other reasons yeah, you well, sort of I, mean I, I would suggest that it's not necessarily painful mm-hmm. 
Oh, if, if, if we see, <laughs> if you watch a kid, but you know, and you're watching them, and they're playing with matches, and yeah. and you've told them not to, and yeah. you kind of think, well, I don't want them to burn the house down, so they're going to have to learn. It's painful, man. I mean, I haven't done that. I just want to say uh, that's not what I. I well, you know, I, I have the luxury of kind of speculating <laughs> upon parenthood. It literally, you know, it, being it, childless. It, it literally, it's like so. For instance, if my if my kid is hanging over the banister, yeah, right. Literally, I feel vertigo. Yeah. It's a deeply visceral reaction to whenever you see your kids doing something that could harm them. When they would jump down from a high space, it would lit, my guts would just go. It was, it's an extraordinary thing. I can understand why, in some ways, having that feeling and having it validated and protecting can be a sort of a, a very compelling thing. And the ability to tolerate that, and this is another, tolerate discomfort, right? Yeah. It, that's going to come up a, a few times, is that being able to tolerate that discomfort incrementally over time is is easier if, than if you're holding on for too long, then you have to take it off. Yep. I mean, that's that's hard. But either way, it's hard. There's nothing, <laughs> there's no easy route down that well, one. <laughs> I think that, that that must explain why so many, for some reason, it's usually mothers mm-hmm. more than the dad, mm-hmm. but it explains why so many parents coddle yeah, I, Even com- I completely understand it. Yeah. They're adult children. So the, the question then is, you know, if you've passed the age of 18 and, and you have a parent who still does this to you as though you can't judge the height you can safely jump from. Even at the age of 40, even at the age of 60, this could still be happening, right? That's what I kind of want to talk my clients out of mm-hmm. when they are the parent. Yeah. Because it is... It causes two people to suffer Mm. where zero people have to suffer. Mm. The good news is that your parents are not the only influence on you. And the opinions you choose to listen to will, I think, over time, Mm -hmm. make a bigger impact than the opinions you happen to grow up around Mm. or opinions that just happen to come from, from your mother or your dad. All right, so let's talk about power Mm -hmm. because another anti-principle that we have to let go of in adulthood is that we are incapable of handling power, that we would be like a bull in a china shop Mm -hmm. if we were given the power to operate a vehicle, to make our own decisions, to act upon the world, Mm -hmm. to, to, to do things. And I say it's an anti-principle because by adulthood, we all should have had have developed an idea for how we're going to handle power mm-hmm. and authority. That there is such a thing as good power mm. or legitimate authority that when wielded by an adult causes good things to happen in this world. Right. Power is often, I think, mischaracterizes in in and of itself a bad thing. And yet, as you say, without hierarchical structures where some people have more control over things than others, and ideally they've earned that, and ideally they are competent adults, right? And with that competency competency comes the responsibility. The responsible Mm -hmm. use of power and the effective use of power has to be based on, mm-hmm. I would say, knowledge. Right. 
as well as a kind of morality yeah. that considers those you wield power over. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are big consequences when that doesn't happen, when the responsibility and power are not integrated. So I was reading a story about a professor who specializes in, or who specialized in adolescent development, and he was run over and killed by a kid who was driving a Lamborghini, you know, which we know is like, you, if, if you've ever driven a race car or, a, a, you know, a, a car like that, it's a very different affair. And, you know, the fine tuning on that, that's a huge amount of responsibility and a huge amount of power. Mm-hmm. And when it goes wrong, it goes terribly wrong. And it went terribly wrong on that occasion. So if you look at that, you say, well, that's a single event that shows the power is wrong. You know, I shouldn't give kids the keys to cars, period. Power is analogous to a tool, mm-hmm. right? Like the chef's knife that could, should be used to, mm-hmm. to, you know, make sushi, to dice vegetables, mm-hmm. to make food more palatable. Mm-hmm. But used carelessly, mm-hmm. even without malice, it can harm you or others. And of course, used with malice, mm-hmm. it is going to harm mm-hmm people. Mm. Power is the same way. Mm. Where used properly, you have excellent control over your vehicle. And it's it's only when power is used carelessly, mm. or of course when power is used maliciously, that it rightfully gets the the flack, the criticism that it deserves. Just because we can criticize abuses of power, that doesn't mean there's no such thing as legitimate Mm. use of power. We talked in the first episode Mm -hmm. about Ben Parker, who said, with great power comes great responsibility. We can't turn that on its head. Star Wars, right? Yes. (laughs) That Marvel movie, Star Wars. So to return to the idea of power, so as an adult looking at power you shouldn't you know it's not correct to say that power is automatically corrupt evil and bad it's not correct to deny the possibility that you will be in a position of power or that you should even desire it that that is not necessarily a bad thing but this is dependent on your values your morals your pro-social attitude that will define the correct and beneficial use of power the next anti-principle mm-hmm. is that you always ought to follow your heart or that your feelings <laughs> are automatically right. Mm. So as an adult, I'm going to say that facts and mutual consensus mm-hmm. have to be taken into account in addition to personal feelings. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, others will account for your personal feelings. But when it comes to what's going to matter for everyone, mm-hmm. it's going to be the facts or a mutual consensus. Mm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a very enlightenment view, is that right? There are different f- branches of epistemology, <laughs> which is probably beyond the scope of this early episode. <laughs> consensus reality mm-hmm. is the view that reality is that which we all agree upon mm-hmm. is called consensus reality. Mm-hmm. Emotions can distort reality, right? It can distort the way you perceive things. It can distort Perception, the way that you yeah. even the taste of things, for example. 
how you feel about things can change the senses themselves. So that's why, to some degree, you need some kind of consensus because you've got to have somebody else say, you know, if I point at that and you see it and you can touch it and I can point at it, see it and touch it, yeah. we can agree on these same things, then there's, at least there's two people that agree that this thing is a real thing. Yeah. But, of course, emotions are very inter internal, mm -hmm. right? So you don't necessarily have the ability to know 100% that your emotions are correctly interpreting the situation. I would say that emotions are just one input. Mm -hmm. In addition to how you feel about something, how you think about the thing mm -hmm. is going to matter too. Mm. How other people might think or feel about the thing should probably be taken into account as mm -hmm. we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Whether this thing seems to, to, to fit your knowledge of similar situations mm -hmm. or is it anomalous, yeah. th that might be useful yeah, information is it, is to, to consider. Is it a single event? Is it a pattern? Is it a, yeah, is there, is yeah, there, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's the gathering of evidence that might support the emotion. I'm full of metaphors, Okay. but this one I think is universally resonant. When I was a child, mm -hmm. I was often kept up by the imagining mm. of a monster that would eat my feet mm -hmm. if they hung out, like outside of the blankets. And then I stopped believing in or imagining monsters in the dark or mm -hmm. monsters under the bed or mm -hmm. monsters in the closet. And my feet have never been eaten. When we reach adulthood, we might not believe in literal monsters in the literal darkness, mm -hmm. but most of us, our entire adult lives, mm -hmm. will still imagine and believe in threats in the unknown. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I see an attractive woman sitting on a park bench and she's looking bored. Mm -hmm. My eyes show me that she's sitting on a park bench alone looking bored. Mm -hmm. In my imagination, I imagine that if I walked up and introduced myself, she's going to stand up, point at me and says, look at this creep. <laughs> or she's going to otherwise bite my head off. Mm -hmm. Not that that's ever happened to me, not mm -hmm. that I've ever seen that in public, mm -hmm. but the human imagination is vivid enough mm -hmm. that we could imagine this adult version of a monster in the dark mm -hmm. or a threat in the unknown. Mm -hmm. People imagine threats on airplanes. People imagine threats in audiences that gather to hear them speak. Your worst fears have a very bad track record mm. of predicting what actually happens. Right. Usually what happens is the mundane thing. Mm. And too often we don't even think about the mundane thing yeah. because it's so predictable and boring. But I'm going to highlight that word predictable mm -hmm. in there. If you want to make an accurate prediction about what's going to happen when you board the airplane, mm -hmm. when you speak to the group, mm -hmm. when you say hello to potentially a new friend or neighbor or partner, when you actually do the thing, it's going to be the boring thing that happens over and over again. And it's a natural tendency for a human being mm -hmm. to be susceptible to emotional reasoning yeah. and superstition mm -hmm. and revising history based on what makes them look good or feel mm -hmm. good. And we can kind of excuse children who mm. do this because they don't have enough years of life experience mm -hmm. to know any better. Under the subject of how to be an adult, mm -hmm. I would say that you've been taught enough about critical thinking mm. and the pursuit of truth that 
you don't have to fall back on just emotion or instinct or superstition. You can implement what you learned through school to value truth more highly, to value also the methods through which we ascertain truth. Mm -hmm. But I, I would also suggest that maybe even if you don't learn these things, life itself will keep on reminding you. Because if you trade your integrity, your interpersonal relationships, your uh, work environment, and your goals, and you say, I will only be, I will only, I will use my feelings to define the reality in all those contexts, Mm -hmm. it's, life is going to turn around and say no. <laughs> and you'll be sat there going, well, hang yep. on, this is how I feel. Yep. I mean, other people will turn around and well, say, yeah, well, yeah. no, you, you know, yeah. it's not just you who matters. Yes, yes, exactly. The next anti-principle is that you are being, quote, lazy hmm. when you are doing nothing at mm. all. And school, as well as even very well-meaning parents, instill this idea that... You are of value when you have been productive. You are of value when you have done something or achieved mm -hmm. something or have been in service to another. So the principle I then have to instill is that there is such a thing as the purest pleasure of existence, mm. of being without doing, kind of like we imagine the tiger basking in the sunbeam or the wolf sleeping in his or her den where they know that existence, life itself, is all the reason one needs mm. to relax and to be happy and peaceful. And one other thing I've been saying to my clients who are you know, typically very overstressed, yeah. it's not just that you have the purest pleasure of existence. Mm. It's also that everything like that, that you would pursue with no outside incentive, mm -hmm. has intrinsic value, mm. whereas everything that you only pursue with an outside incentive doesn't have that much intrinsic mm -hmm. value, hence the incentive. Yeah, so, so you would say things like, I don't know, um, if you have no outside incentive, you can read a book that's got nothing to do with your work. You can sing a song in the shower badly and mm -hmm. spend an extra five minutes doing it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you can write a poem that maybe nobody will read. Yep. You can spend two hours hanging out with friends talking about absolute nonsense. Yep. And you're not in, these are not friends that you can get anything out of professionally. Yep. Yes. These are the things that you're going to look back on and that make up the experience of your life, really. These are extremely adult things to do. Right. So sometimes new adults have the false idea mm. that you don't do these things any longer mm -hmm. once you enter the working world and nothing can be further from the truth. Mm. Because even when you've joined the working world, you've sold maybe 40 hours out of your week. Mm. And there are 168 hours mm. in a week. So you'll want to sleep very deeply during mm. those hours you've allocated for sleep. You'll want to enjoy your meals when you've set aside time to eat a meal, you mm -hmm. will want to just shoot the breeze with your friends mm -hmm. during those couple hours. This is an extremely adult way to live your life mm -hmm. because then you're caring for yourself mm -hmm. as a human being, a living human being who's under your care mm -hmm. and who you want to be happy. But within that, I can, I can also accept that there are periods of time when you are definitely you know, leaning into the working more. You know, There's room for... Um, experiencing your the joy of simply living, there's room for 
uh, the joy of curious exploration, mm -hmm. and then and that might take up a fair amount of your time. And then there's another section which would be the the joy of implementation or fruition, and that also yep. might take up some time too. But the one the one thing that mustn't be dismissed or forgotten is the ability to sit there and do nothing and enjoy the very act of living or do things that do not have that goal-defined value. When one sees themselves through the lens of having value only insofar as they're making money, mm. let's say, they actually feel worthless. Mm. They actually feel like they have no value if they're sitting on their porch on a warm summer day looking at the birds and the trees. So this message is for them. You're not worthless when you're enjoying the purest pleasure of existence. There is separately the pleasure of achievement. Mm -hmm. And there is separately from that the pleasure of being in service to other mm -hmm. people. But the baseline is that as long as you can raise the question, you're still a living human being mm -hmm. and it's not just the tigers it's people like you mm -hmm. who get to enjoy yeah. the purest pleasure of existence yeah. and the last anti-principle mm -hmm. is that you can achieve a hundred percent perfection in your <laughs> adult endeavors oh, and you're man. laughing at the idea well no because i know a lot of people that believe that and that aspire to a hundred percent perfection and it is a that's a that's something that's a burden to bear i would say that being an actor and a writer and all the creative things failure and not being perfect is hard baked into that otherwise you would never produce anything but is there is there such a thing as perfection no that's acting? what well, no, no, I wouldn't say there is at all. There's as close as you can get, and that's all you can ever aspire to. But you'll never actually be somebody else. So, so in a way, it's cruel yeah. to expect perfection of an actor yes. because they are literally never going to They're achieve ne it. They're never going to achieve it. And it's, I would say it's cruel to expect perfection out of yourself as well because you can only ever fall short. And it can define so much of your approach to life because that damages your self-esteem, right? It, um, it can cut you off from opportunity. It can make you procrastinate. It can, it's got so many multivariant tendrils, this one. Maybe playing chess against toddlers. You might actually <laughs> be able to get a 100% win rate if your standards for entertainment are so low that you would play chess against toddlers, you might actually get that perfect. And like in the material universe with atoms and molecules. Mm -hmm. um, but for something like acting, for something like hypnotherapy, for medicine, law. Communication. Communication, business, entrepreneurship, relationships. For any complex enough endeavor, in other words, endeavors worth pursuing mm -hmm. as an adult, in other words, not playing chess against toddlers, <laughs> you are going to fall short of perfect. And mm. that's supposed to happen yeah. as an indication the challenge you've taken on is challenging enough. For any complex or difficult enough endeavor, we should accept that a less than perfect success rate, it just comes with the territory. Mm. So if we look at your favorite movie, your favorite band, your favorite book, 
on your favorite internet review site. Mm-hmm. Unless they're buying reviews, <laughs> they're not going to have People 10.0 on IMDb <laughs> or like five stars average on, on Amazon because you're not going to satisfy everybody. But, but here's, here's the thing. When I, I don't know maybe else, I think this is probably occurring more and more. When I look at like Google reviews or Amazon reviews, I actually don't trust those that are like across the board five. And if I see a business that's got a low uh, Google review, and I see the business respond in a kind and rational manner, I think that's the person that I'm going to go to. Because if I have a problem, I can talk to these people and they'll treat me as an adult. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of How to Be an Adult. We covered in this episode some anti-principles that you should abandon now that you're past the age of 18. And once you become an adult, you are an adult for the rest of your days. So the childhood principles to abandon, you can safely abandon for the rest of your life. Luke and I are available for hire through the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis. We're based in Canada, but we see people from all over the world. Hypnosis is about giving people better ideas and perspectives that work for them, that help them be the adult they are meant to be. If you're interested, please get in touch. You can go through the website and any questions and worries will be answered through consultation. For more of our thoughts on how to be an adult, you can follow us on YouTube at Morpheus Hypnosis, where you get the audio and the video. Or you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching for How to Be an Adult. We're looking forward to giving you more helpful guidance for how to make the most out of the adulthood you just inadvertently found yourself in. Now that we've covered the childhood principles to abandon in adult life, we're going to be talking in the next episode about why you must exceed your parents. So I'm looking forward to having that talk and until then stay tuned.